Can you believe it? It's been one year since our worlds have been turned upside down. Schools closed, church buildings closed, places of business closed, and masks went on. Many of us have contracted COVID. Some of us were even in the hospital because of COVID. And some of you even may know someone who has lost their life because of COVID. We started off by worshiping online only for a few months, and then we made our way back into the made our way into the parking lot for worship and then slowly made our way back into the sanctuary for worship last fall now here we are a year later and it's been an interesting 12 months of ministry they don't teach pastors in seminary how to lead a church through a global pandemic and if they do i certainly miss that class instead we've kind of walked this journey together as we all have our thoughts about when to fully open again, to wear a mask or to not wear a mask all the time, I wanted to share that I have greatly been appreciative of how this church has responded to some of the decisions our leadership here has at the church has made about worship and guidelines, etc. You all have been team players and have been willing to adjust and roll with whatever it is we've decided to do, and I want to thank the leadership of this church for having open minds and good conversations over this past year about what our next steps should be throughout this journey. We've added in a time change uh, as well to the service, which moved from 8.45 to 9.30 as a start time, and I want to thank our youth pastor also, Jordan Forston, for being dedicated to lead us through this season with technology. He's been very instrumental in making sure that the live feed is ready to go each and every week for this past year, whether we uh, were up here in the chancel area, sitting at a table or out in the summer sun in the parking lot or uh, in the back of the sanctuary. He's really helped keep those keep us keep keep people connected who have chosen to stay at home. I want to thank our wonderful praise and worship team for being flexible throughout this whole process. Some Sundays it was just one or two of you. Some sometimes it was uh, we alternated. Sometimes uh, we recorded something at home. And now, as of late, we've been spread out up on the chancel stage area, and at least we're back together. I want to thank those of you who serve humbly, arrive before the services to do a variety of tasks. Thank you. It doesn't go unnoticed. And as we get closer to the day which uh, we all hope will help us feel a little more uh, like normal. You've all been dedicated and still been a part of the worship service in person and online, even though it's looked a lot different. And more importantly, God has been with us in this journey. God has been faithful and God has still been good. And God is still a God of love. In fact, love isn't something that God does. Uh, Love is who God is. God is love. When I went to South Korea a few years back on a spiritual pilgrimage, I I went to a really large church, and the sanctuary was actually in an underground level of the building. In fact, it was the largest underground sanctuary in the world. But that's not what I remember most about this church. What I remember most was the hundreds of times, or what it at least felt like a hundred times, that I saw the words, God is love. It was in the sanctuary, it was on the doors, it was on the walls, it was everywhere. It was a reminder that the God who created us and the God who loves us is a God of love. Look no further than the scripture this morning. 
perhaps one of the more famous scriptures in our culture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but will have eternal life. Most all of us have probably heard this scripture before. Maybe it was a memory verse as a kid, maybe you've seen it on a billboard, or maybe you've seen it on a sign at a football game, or maybe you've seen it somewhere else. In fact, I was playing a game on my phone just yesterday, and the username of the person I was playing with had their name, and underneath their name it said John 3.16. Even for those who may not know what it says, they're probably at least heard of the words John 3.16. The other day I made a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies. There's nothing like a fresh baked chocolate chip cookie, is there? Well, maybe that's just a personal opinion of mine, but some of you may agree. Anyway, suppose when the cookies came out of the oven, I just reached down and pinched out a lone chocolate chip and I ate it. Suppose that's all I did, and then I said, wow, that's a good cookie. Some of you may think, yeah, that's a chocolate chip, and that's good, but you have to get the whole experience. You would tell me that I actually need to take a bite out of the cookie to get the whole experience. Well, when we do this, with, we do this with the scriptures sometimes. We take out a chocolate chip without taking a bite out of the whole cookie. In other words, we pull out John 3.16 and miss, miss out on the story in which John 3.16 is located. We are familiar with John 3.16, but maybe not as familiar with John 3.17, or John chapter 3 for that matter. So let's take a bite out of the cookie today and look at what's happening in the scripture that John 3.16 is located. John chapter 3 begins with a Pharisee who's kind of a religious rule follower, and his name is Nicodemus. He came to Jesus during the night, so he probably wouldn't be seen in the darkness, and he begins to talk to Jesus. Nicodemus basically says, Look, we know that you've come from God because no one can do what you're doing without the presence of God. And Jesus replies and says, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus then takes Jesus literally and says, How can anyone be born after I have growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus says that, no one can be born but by water and the Spirit. They continue on the conversation for a few more verses, and then just before John 3.16, Jesus says, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now what's this talk about Moses and the serpent? Well, Numbers chapter 21 in the Old Testament, Moses lifts up a bronze serpent in the wilderness so that all who look on the serpent will, might be saved from the death of poisonous snake bites. So in Numbers 21, it's all about looking up at the serpent to live. In John 3, it's about believing in the Son of Man to live eternally. So Jesus is saying it's more than just seeing me. It's about believing in me as well. In the Gospel of John, according to Hullet Glower, believe is an action verb. It's something you do. The nature of belief comes clear in verse 36 because Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever disobeys the Son will not see life but must endure God's wrath. For John, the opposite of belief is not, does not seem to be 
uh, unbelief, but the opposite of belief seems to be disobedience. To believe in Jesus, therefore, is to obey Jesus. This life that Jesus offers us is available to us now, not just in the future. We can be people who live in the kingdom of God here and now and also experience in its fullness in the future. My son is going to be two years old in a few months, and he seems to be growing by the day. He isn't really speaking yet, but he has his ways of communicating with us. For example, when he was younger, he would try, he would cry and fuss when he was hungry. Now when he's hungry, he doesn't just fuss about it. He actually shows us he is hungry through his actions. If I go to the refrigerator and open it, he'll oftentimes let me know that he's hungry by walking to the kitchen table, pulling out his chair and signaling for us to put him in his chair. In other words, he is past the stage of being fussy where we have to try and guess what's wrong. He's at the stage where he's literally showing us that he is hungry by putting how he is feeling into action. I think this can connect with our faith today. Jesus says that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So how do we believe in Jesus Christ? It's one thing to believe uh, in our hearts from the stands, so to speak, like out of a game. And it's another thing about showing we believe by actually getting ourselves out of the stands and into the game. So here's what I want to share to us today based on John 3.16. Don't just tell people you believe in Jesus Christ. Show people that you believe in Jesus Christ. James 2, 14, 19 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that. So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So scripture is teaching us that having faith and belief in Jesus Christ also requires some action on our part. If faith has no works, it is dead. It requires us to put our faith into Christian action in the world. If we believe in Jesus Christ, then we ought to be a witness to Jesus Christ in the world and follow his teachings. Well, what are some of those teachings? Matthew 25 comes to mind when it says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. For I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then I'll answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus here draws our attention to the least of these in the world. Who are the hungry in our community, the thirsty, the naked, the prisoners? How are we living out our Christian how are we living out our belief in Christ through caring for the least of these as Christ commands? 
How does our thoughts and minds begin to change when we imagine that the way we treat others is the way that we treat Christ? The Christian faith is more than just about coming to church on Sundays and attending a Bible study or a small group every now and then. Being a disciple is about following the teachings of Christ and believing in our hearts, but also showing that belief in our actions. And this can be hard stuff. It's not easy to follow the teachings of Jesus sometimes, especially when we are called to love our neighbors, which includes all people. Yes, even our enemies. It's hard to pray for those who persecute us. It's hard to offer the other cheek when someone slaps you. It's hard to not worry sometimes. Jesus offers you and I eternal life. Jesus also offers us life here and now. It's one thing to say you believe in Jesus, while it's another thing to show others that you believe in Jesus. So do you believe? Amen.